Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. But hey, um, we're going to jump in here this morning to Matthew. If you have your Bibles, if not, it's going to be up on the screen. Um, But it's going to be Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 34. And so this is Jesus talking. He says, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Then the parable of the yeast. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the gospel of Christ. Hi. How are you? Have a buddy with me today. This (laughs) Um, If you don't know him, this is my very good friend, Josh Armstrong, and I paused for applause, but no one's clapping yet. (laughs) Um, uh, This is our last week in our Parables of the Kingdom series, and so I've been affectionately calling it Mission Sunday in my mind, um, because it felt to me like the right way to end a whole series on uh, Kingdom Parables was to talk about um, stuff that we are doing as a church all over the world. And so in order to do that, I want to bring my friend Josh. Josh is um, for is one of the things that we share with the Maryville Vineyard. Uh, we always say that we share the things that work really well, and Josh works really well. So that works for us. Um, so Josh is our missions pastor person. Uh, he prefers person over pastor. Uh, we are the two people on staff that are most uncomfortable with the word pastor being next to our name. So um, <laughs> that's who has the mics today. Um, but Josh is not only just like the vineyard as in our two locations um, missions person. He also represents us uh, in our entire denomination, or it's an association of vineyard churches like a denomination. And so Josh is actually over missions for essentially like the entire eastern seaboard. And I don't know what a seaboard is. I just was excited to use that word. Um, And then part of California's seaboard. I don't know. (laughs) Does it work there? (laughs) This is going down quickly. Uh, but yeah, so he represents us all over the East and in part of California. Um, so he's a very big deal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, want, 
You want me to say words now for a second? Yep, yep, okay. yep, yep. <laughs> I just got to say that I'm really excited that Lindsay's on a stool today because we don't know what's going to happen. This could go I'm bad. so bad at stool. She's not a stool person. No, so, I'm very um, short. Yeah, no, it's really good to be with you guys. I, I was telling somebody, I think Sam, before the service, that uh, our family used to have a rhythm of being here once or twice a month. And over this, this last few months, that has gotten really uh, thrown out of whack because of travel schedules and, and other things. And so anyway, really miss being here, but it's awesome to be here today. And uh, yeah, keep talking about my titles and stuff. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, keep, yeah. keep saying. <laughs> yeah, you love that. You love that. Um, okay, uh, here's what I want to do. We I want to spend a few minutes talking about uh, our parable for today. It's not. Um, it's one that we're uh, well acquainted with here at Springbrook. And so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on mustard seeds and yeast and things of that nature. Yeah, I want to specifically talk about the mustard seeds. So. This is probably, that short little parable is probably my second favorite parable that Jesus told. Second only to, you guys say the prodigal son or the parable of the, the two sons is, is pretty hard to beat. But I love this one for a lot of reasons, especially in terms of when you talk about missiology. Because here, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, in this short little parable, you've got this tiny little mustard seed. Um, and it would have been the thing that would have been the most prone to being picked off by birds. And so in just a few short words, Jesus turns it from this tiny little seed that could have been picked off by the birds that was vulnerable, that was exposed, to after just a few words, it is the thing that the birds rely on for shelter. And if that's not the most upside-down kingdom type of stuff, I don't know what is. It's, it's really, really beautiful. And so when I think about this particular parable in terms of not just missiology, like overseas stuff, but even right here, I think like all the time, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, a lot, decades, and I've seen over and over and over again, uh, not only in scripture, but in life, God taking people and situations that had no business turning the world upside down and turning the world upside down, doing incredible things through marginalized folks and people that you never saw coming. And we all like those stories, right? So that's one of the reasons I love this parable so much. I was thinking the same thing, that um, I went to the Walmart this morning and um, got a mustard seed. I was going to see if I could show it to you. I don't know if I can. Can you see this at all? Okay. I even bought the red one. It's like got an extra coating on it. It's so, here, let me try this. Oh, nope, doesn't work. I can't, I can't see it, okay. and I'm right here. It's like so <laughs> tiny. And then, Dave, will you throw the picture of what it becomes? This is what a mustard seed becomes, like a full, I think I always just um, thought of mustard greens, if you know those, like it just becomes like a little bush. That's not, it's like a full tree. So when Jesus is talking about um, it, ser- like exactly what you said, like it's serving um, to shelter the very thing that like is its most dangerous predator. Um, but I was struck by the idea of this is, I, I think I said this a year ago when we talked about this parable, but it, it hasn't become any less interesting to me that um, Jesus, it's the same as with the yeast, that Jesus seems to use or find like really great value in things that are small and things that are hidden and things that are incredibly ordinary. Like our, um, our, our great feast, like the one thing we celebrate is, has bread and wine, like the two most ordinary things in the world. And Jesus seems to be in the business of, of valuing things like that, things that are small and things that are ordinary and things that are hidden. A seed before it becomes this, it has to be hidden in the dirt so the birds don't get it, right? Uh, and then the same with the yeast. Like, um, I can't remember the exact measurements, but I think the three measures of flour that the woman puts the little bit of yeast in, I think it's like 16 pounds of flour. And she puts it, she hides a tiny little bit of yeast in it and it permeates into everything. And so to me, that is um, 
one of the most remarkable things that Jesus is saying. Uh, so here's what I want to do on the idea of mustard seeds. We're a, we're a really small church and I want to tell you how our little mustard seed of a church is making an impact, um, in our area, um, in our country and all across the world. And so, uh, one of the things is we still haven't updated you guys on our must have gifts from this Christmas because we finally got the, the official numbers in. Um, and so must have gifts is an offering that we do, like a special offering every single Christmas. And um, we supported three different things. We had a goal of $5,000 uh, to go toward what we call the box, which is our need meeting system, our benevolent system um, here at the Vineyard. And then we had a goal of $10,000 um, that we wanted to raise for a ministry that we love called Raising a Voice that um, helps women uh, in the sex industry in Knoxville and overseas. Uh, they wanted to uh, build a roof on a bakery where they will employ with dignity uh, women who are escaping the sex industry. Um, and then the third thing that we had a $10,000 goal is uh, for our clinic in Haiti. Will you give like a 10 second sound bite on? Yeah, if you don't know much about the, the clinic in Haiti, Daniel and Natalie, Natalie Abercrombie uh, and their family, they lived in Haiti for a while. They're back here now, but they started uh, a clinic in a very remote part of Haiti called Fouret de Pen, uh, which did not have health care. And uh, they not only had the clinic, but also kind of a holistic preventative health care uh, model in place to, to just saturate that community with health care, but also with the good news of Jesus. And so uh, they're just doing incredible work. Uh, you may not know, we used to live in Haiti and we did a lot of work in that area. And one of our dreams was to eventually build a clinic there. And as we were moving out of Haiti, Daniel Abercrombie had been on a short-term trip with me. We're going down the mountain from that area. He heard the vision. He was like, I think I'm gonna move my family there to do that. And I was like, okay, yeah, because people said stuff like that on mission trips all the time. And a few months later, he did. And he lived there for like seven years or six years or something. So awesome ministry. Okay, so here's where we are. Um, for the $5,000 goal that we had for the box, we raised $9,818. Yeah, you should, we're gonna have to work on our clapping. Like it needs to be like bigger and louder. Okay. Can okay. you guys see? I'm gonna like move over. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like okay. my big head's in the way. Um, I can't get off the stool because then I can't get back on. Um, the, for the roof, for raising a voice, our goal of $10,000, we raised $19,032. Uh, I got to deliver that check to Will Boggs, our buddy that runs Raising a Voice the other day, and he just wanted me to say from him, thank you, thank you, thank you, like tears in his eyes, thank you. Um, and then for the clinic, our $10,000 goal, $10, goal, we raised $16,125. <laughs> We did good. So that's between the two locations, and I'm so proud of us. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving uh, above and beyond to those things. Um, okay, I got a question for you. Now you feel very far away. Um, I got a question for you. Last year for Must Have Gifts, one of our um, uh, things that we raised money for was a water and power system from a company, a company called Lima. Um, and Lima uh, provides solar panels Am I getting this right? Solar panels that will help with a water filtration system. And so we are raising it to go to an area called the board, um, which is an area we've done some uh, work in. And then secretly on the side, we were also raising money um, for solar, these solar panels for the Freedom House, which is our orphanage in Haiti. And, um, and we raised enough money to do both of them. And we haven't updated you on this process. So will you like give us a, a 
a pro, uh, update. Yeah, yeah, we even have pictures, and I have a very recent update, like as of yesterday update. So here's what's so amazing about this. As Lindsay said, we, we have this children's home in Haiti. It was in the greater Port-au-Prince area, which is where one of the international airports is. And because of, if you've kept up with the news in Haiti at all, there was a, the president was assassinated. There's, a, there's just corruption is, is rampant. Uh, Gang activity is really bad, so it's very difficult to even travel to Haiti right now. So this must-have gifts that Lindsay is talking about was from two years ago because our timeline got thrown way off. We actually had to move the children's home, the Freedom House, up to Cap Haitian, which is where the second international airport is in Haiti, and it's a little more secure. And because of that, and because of shipping, and because of just trying to get things out of customs, and a whole load of other problems, we weren't able to get it out. We recently were able to get these two Lima units out. So Lima is the name of the company, the organization that builds these state-of-the-art systems. They're basically uh, power generators that can also pump water uh, using solar energy. So they're pretty state-of-the-art. Uh, actually, the guy, the guy who started this organization named Brian Plord uh, is actually looking at getting a grant from the Department of Defense right now. I mean, pretty, these systems are pretty incredible. Um, so we finally got these out earlier this year, uh, right around the 1st of January, and the first one was taken to the Freedom House. Now, hold that thought. I want to take you back a little bit to, to give you a little context. Um, the Freedom House, most of the kids that are in that children's home come from a part of Haiti called Laborde, which... Uh, which, which Lindsay mentioned. It's in the central plateau of Haiti. It's an incredibly remote place. I had a friend that took me there quite several years ago. I was not prepared. We didn't have enough water. And we went up and down mountains on literally goat trails because there's no other way back there. And when we got there, I saw poverty that even I had not seen before anywhere in Haiti. It was, it was really a sad place with only voodoo temples and, and shacks where people lived and, and just in they were destitute. Um, and so kids were dying of, of stupid things, you know, malnutrition, and had, every kid had worms in their bellies. So we started to do a kind of a holistic uh, approach to meeting the needs in that area through Haitians. So we didn't want to have some kind of savior complex of us coming in and doing all the stuff, but rather we identified Haitian leaders that were qualified to go and to start doing ministry there. Since then, a church has started with several other simple churches uh, all around that area. Simple churches are kind of like house churches. Um, also, a school was started where more than 200 kids who never have gotten an education are now getting an education, and we've done some preventative health care things and other type things for that community. It's, it's been pretty incredible. Now, pick back up the conversation with Lima. Uh, we had a bunch of our, the, the kids from there that are at the Freedom House, and so one of those units went to the Freedom House, and uh, we were really worried because we were thinking we were going to have to send some Americans there to help assemble it. It's our, again, savior complex, thinking that the Americans have all the answers. We said, man, these, these, these systems are so elaborate. I, I don't know how in the world they're going to get these built. I'll be honest. I was, I was starting to get pretty nervous about it after I sat through some Zoom meetings with them trying to explain the technology. I thought, how are they going to assemble this and get it running? Now, one of our kids from the Freedom House is named Ronnie. Uh, he's also from Laborde. And Will we got you throw a picture. The Freedom House picture with Ronnie. Yeah, Ronnie's that kid on the far left right there. He's now 17 years old. We got him when he was, I think, about 11. Uh, kid is straight up child prodigy. Like I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not making this up. The older he got, the more. Uh, like Amanda, who's back there, who does a ton of work at the Freedom House. Another partner that we have, Tracy. They were, they were starting to tell me things like, "This kid's like." like really smart. And a lot of the kids have excelled in a lot of ways, but Ronnie just kind of rose to the top as far as academics and just raw ability and all kinds of things. So uh, these two units get on the ground. We're worried about assembling them. And lo and behold, a few days later, Ronnie had it done. 
like Ronnie did it. It was a glorified STEM project for Ronnie. Uh, and he had, some, he had some other help uh, from some of the other kids, but, it, but the kids were mostly just like assisting him. He figured it out, and it's like an elaborate electrical system. It's, in, it's unbelievable. So here's what's amazing. Guess who uh, today, the, the, the second unit has been taken to the foot of the first mountain, and uh, today or maybe tomorrow, an expedition is going to haul it. They had to be taken apart even further because it's so heavy and there's so many pieces. It's, it's going to be taken via mule and people's backs up and over mountains to that school to provide electricity and water and other things for the school and some other surrounding houses in the community. And guess who's leading the expedition? Oh, yeah, Ronnie. Yeah. You, you talk about the, the parable of the mustard seed and how birds can pick it off, and then all of a sudden now the birds are having to perch in its branches. That's Ronnie's story, you know? So I love this story. So that's our must-have gifts update from two years ago. Hope you liked it. Hope you liked it. Over to you. I did, I did like it. I'm like crying. I'm a sardonic over statement. Here. Sorry. Really liked it. I wanted to do a mic drop, but instead that yeah, came no, out. No, so. that was perfect. I just wasn't ready to talk again. Okay, so uh, sorry. Our church has uh, missions efforts not just uh, to Haiti, but you also spend a good bit of your time and energy and resources and heart and soul in Africa. Um, getting the good news of Jesus to unreached people groups there. Um, so would you update us on how things are in Africa? But I'm going to ask you a favor because you're my friend. Will you also tell everyone how we ended up in Africa? Yeah, yeah, it's another kind it of mustard seed. It feels very mustard Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, so, so like I said, we lived in Haiti, and one of, the, one of the guys that I worked with and continue to work with is Gabriel Lindor, who leads Simple Church Ministries, which has, uh, which has uh, basically a movement of house churches that blankets the map of Haiti. And this guy is just like 32 years old, so he's really an extraordinary leader. I could talk about him all day. He's one of my best friends as well. But, but here's what's Have you cool. ever shared a twin-sized bed with him? I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to tell that story. <laughs> Um, so you totally made me, what was sorry, I talking about? Sorry, uh, Gabe. Yeah, Gabe. Um, yeah, so, so a few years ago, after we'd moved back from Haiti, God had really put on our hearts and some other people's hearts the vision of just exploring what it meant to work with unreached people groups, um, specifically in Africa, and then we looked at West Africa, and then the, the focus got narrowed to the Ivory Coast. And... Um, you know, when you talk about unreached people groups, uh, the last thing Africa needs, are, again, are, are Americans with a savior complex coming in. Uh, there's a long history of colonialism and icky stuff with that. But rather, we said, what if we identified some people who already have a heart to reach their own people for Jesus in the country, and we just come alongside them, maybe help push them a little farther along than they'd be able to themselves because of a lack of resources or whatever the case may be. But I needed help because uh, I spoke Creole, but I didn't speak very good French and uh, at that time, and then I needed Gabe to go with me. And so Gabe ends up going uh, with me on the very first trip to Africa. That's been like eight years ago. And um, here's what's beautiful about that. Gabe's people would have literally originally come from that part of Africa. So when you look at Benin and Togo and Ivory Coast and those areas in West Africa, that's where many of the slaves would have come over to what has been called the New World. And now Gabe is going back over there, and the work that he has helped start has been extraordinary with unreached people groups. Um, we identified some persons of peace. We came alongside them and their heart and their vision. And there are now six unreached people groups in the Ivory Coast uh, that have literally hundreds and even 
and thousands of new disciples, mostly Muslim background believers, um, and then two in Mali. So from the work that was started in the Ivory Coast, now uh, leaders from the Ivory Coast have started a work in Mali, and we're just walking in relationship with them as they're doing this stuff. And so it's, it's pretty incredible what's happening. Um, one of uh, my favorite things to see is every once in a while, Josh will come back from Africa and he has loads of pictures. And it's legitimately like hundreds and hundreds of people are, are, are meeting Jesus from a, what, 99.9% Muslim area. And, um, but for me, as a woman, what is pretty incredible is to watch women baptizing people in their uh, neighborhoods and in their communities and things like that. Just like an unheard of role as a woman in Africa. And, and, and because of Gabe's work and Josh's work, we're not just empowering the gospel, but empowering women in a really cool way. Sorry for my feminist speech, but... No, can I say, can I just say one more thing about that? <laughs> uh, it's always welcome. Um, one more thing about that, and I, I told Lindsay, I don't want to go off on too many like side rants because I have a ten- tendency to do that, especially when trying to tell stories and stuff I get really excited about. Um, but I just want to give you a quick uh, snapshot of what we try to do missiologically as a church, uh, because I think that's important for you guys to know, like... Um, ways that we're exploring that are healthy and things that are maybe not healthy, mistakes we've made. I've made uh, so many mistakes along the way. I've already said, I think, three times today that term savior complex. And oftentimes, uh, as American churches, when we go and work in places, especially if they're poorer places or what have been deemed as third world countries or whatever, uh, we do, we, you know, subconsciously, without meaning to, we come in with that savior complex. I'll give you a quick story. Uh, how many of you guys remember Coney 2012? Does anybody remember that? A few. Yeah. Th- I can't believe more yeah. of you don't remember that. So if you don't know, I, I don't have time to tell the whole long story, but Coney 2012 was a documentary that was put out in 2012 about a guy named Joseph Coney, who uh, in another part of Africa, he had this whole army and it was mostly made up of children. And, and he was just really a horrible person. And so three young men from California went and over the course of 10 years, they got all this evidence and they tried to lobby the government. And they, with good hearts, uh, they were trying to change that situation and bring down Joseph Coney, this tyrant. Uh, and after 10 years, they released this documentary. It went viral, literally had tens of millions of people watching it. But it came across as totally like, we're Americans here to save you Africans. And it was, without meaning to, really, really icky. It ended up imploding on itself, uh, and the whole thing fell apart. Now, why do I tell you that story? Uh, just because we could be very guilty of doing the same thing. When we talk about unreached people groups or when we show pictures of, of kids like Ronnie, you know, it, it tugs at your heartstrings, and that's okay. But we don't have to think that we're the great saviors coming in, that we have all the answers. All the answers of what God wants to do in West Africa and in Haiti and in countless other places are already there. We are joining God in the renewal of all things. That's why we say that. And it's important. And it's not just important when we talk about that in international missions, but here in a minute, Lindsay's going to redirect the conversation to us locally. It's important how we view each other. Uh, I am not the answer to you. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And, and, and you have the Spirit of God. Uh, the, you are made in the image of God and the potential of the Spirit of God to come and live in you. And that's true of our communities around here. And so when we talk about missiology, it's just important to say those things. I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, let's talk about that now. I think sometimes the risk of having you on stage and showing all these pictures is we're like, look at what we're doing all over the world. And then there's, in me, I'm like, that is so great for you and all of those people. Um, and I live in Tennessee, and, and is my impact only money? Like, what do you, what, how do I... How do I do this? What does this look like in um, the places where we actually live and work and learn 
in place. So will you take it from like the globe down to this little tiny uh, band room? Yeah, what's so cool is, um, I've, I, you know, we talk often about the scripture, Acts 1-8, which is some of the last things Jesus ever said to his disciples. And he said, you know, you guys uh, take what you've heard from me and take it first to Jerusalem, which was right where they were at, then go to Judea and Samaria, which was the surrounding region, and then the ends of the earth. And my life's been kind of interesting because a lot of what I've been able to do has been ends of the earth. And unfortunately, I've really struggled here in my own backyard uh, to be salt and light. And so a lot of what I've learned overseas from people in West Africa and from Haitians, from these, a lot of folks that are kind of down and out, has actually taught me way more than I could ever teach them. Uh, I've learned how to identify persons of peace and some of the terminology maybe you guys have used around here before. I know Chad has used a lot of that terminology. So I guess what I would say is there are persons of peace in every one of our social networks. You know, and when I say persons of peace, that just comes from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, go out two by two and identify persons of peace. And I would just say that all of you guys, you, you probably have one to five regular ongoing social networks that you're a part of, your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, uh, whatever it may be. And there are persons of peace, people right there that are just looking to be engaged with spiritual conversations. Uh, they're hungry for authentic spirituality, for non-churchy people to have real conversations with them. And so, you know, for our family, we try to be this in our neighborhood and in other places that we work. And um, it's hard. I'll just tell you, like our, even here in East Tennessee, we're, we're in the Bible Belt, people are pretty cynical and, and very wary of Christians, especially if they're not in church, and, and rightly so a lot of times, okay, because we've done some pretty gnarly stuff in our, in our society. Uh, and so, um, but, but that doesn't give us the excuse not to do the work. And when I say do the work, to be salt and light in authentic ways uh, in the places that we eat, work, learn, live, and play. Um, I had another thought as I was thinking about our little community here. Um, I have this story where I was thinking about this with the mustard seed. Um, because uh, we've said this a lot. Like, we believe that prayer matters, and we believe that we can pray, and that God does really miraculous things sometimes. And um, one of the incredible things about here is that a lot of what's happening as far as, like, healing in our church and um, people being set free from loads of things in our church, a lot of it is coming from the kids' hallway, which is hilarious. Like, the tiniest people in our whole congregation are leading what's happening in here. Like, um, I have an example. If you know who Dottie is, Dottie Stowell, she is literally the tiniest person in our church, and she is, like, empowering her family to pray. They had a sick relative, and it's coming from Dottie. I had another mom uh, text me last week, and she said she left uh, service I think after Chad preached and she said that her back was killing her. She had all this back pain. Um, and she said that they got home and her daughter, who's in sixth grade, was just like, I mean, Chad said we could pray for it. You want to try? And she was like, said she had to say yes because, you know, it's her kid. And so they pray and like her back pain goes away. And she texts me and she was like, will you tell Chad I think it might work? Like, <laughs> this is crazy, you know. And so I was just thinking about that, like these little tiny things, like, Faith of very small people uh, that are, I don't know, infusing and permeating the whole big giant room. Yeah, I'll give you another just quick story of something that happened to us locally. And it wasn't from us. It was actually uh, some, somebody that we didn't know too well. Uh, so my daughter, who's sitting back there, had a, a softball coach a few years ago. And 
look, I think at the time Ellie was maybe like eight or nine years old, but I've never seen a coach take more seriously his role at Maryville Little League. Like this guy, um, not only was he serious about teaching the girls, you know, skills in, in softball, uh, he was just an incredibly kind person. I mean, I immediately was like, this guy's got to be a, a follower of Jesus because it seems like he walks with him on a daily basis. Um, and just the whole year, the, the, the vibe around the team was so positive. I mean, what guy typically does that for a group of eight or nine-year-olds? old girls goes out of his way in a volunteer position to just like pour into the lives of these young girls. And I never will forget the very last, uh, you know, they had like the award ceremonies of a lot of these Maryville Little League teams. He, he had this award ceremony and he took it so seriously. It was the best one we've ever been to. And at the end of it, while he was handing out the medals or trophies or whatever it was to the girls, he spoke a word over every girl's life. And I swear it sounded prophetic what he said. He got to my little girl and he like choked up and started crying. And, and what he said about her was spot on and he was literally speaking life into girls on an eight or nine year old Maryville Little League softball team. Who does that? Um, but when we look and our networks around us, the possibilities are endless to identify who are the persons of peace and also who are the broken and marginalized, not so that we can come in and be the savior, but so maybe we can partner with the Holy Spirit to help that person real, realize their God-given potential as a mustard seed who has the potential to be so much more. And that is a possibility for all of us. It's not for the pastor types alone. I mean, in fact, I would say it's even more for your normal everyday person who's out living life in places that a lot of times we don't have access to because we're doing professional ministry, <laughs> whatever that means. It's for, it's for the people that are- that's that's the, A lot of lunches. A lot of lunches. A lot of being a coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, for the, it's for the folks that are in, a lot of times, frankly, a job that maybe they hate, but, but possibly they start to realize, wow, like, the Spirit of God could break in at this place that I thought I wanted to avoid on Monday morning, and now I realize this is a mission field. It's a different way of thinking. Okay, so here's what we want to do. One of my big complaints about the church growing up is I felt like a lot of times people uh, talked about how we were supposed to do stuff like this, uh, but then never actually told us what to do or never actually told us how to do it. And so um, every week we take, uh, we do the same thing. We call it Selah, and it's um, a time of quiet. Um, and a lot of times for us, it's a time of practice. And so for most of you, we put these cards in your chair. Will you get them? You should have a pen and, and these cards. Um, we made this last summer. Uh, they may be familiar to you. We uh, have brought them out time and time again. Um, so uh, here, here, you take that. Um, if you don't have one of those cards, if you just want to open up a note on your phone, like in the notes app, this would be very easy to do on your phone. Um, but will you kind of explain uh, context mapping and, and the prayer on the back, the blessed five? Yeah, so a lot, like Lindsay said, a lot of you guys have done this before, but we're going to give it a twist today. We're going to do it a little bit differently, specifically because of what we talked about, not only in terms of missions, but also in terms of this parable of the mustard seed. Um, and so, side note, I just love that Springbrook does this. I, I love these practices. Growing up, I was always like, you know, John Wimber, uh, when he first got saved, he asked one of the mentors he had, when do I get to do it? And the guy said, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, the stuff. When do I get to do the stuff? And he was like, what are you talking about? And then he started talking about all the stuff Jesus did 
in the New Testament. And, and he just, you know, naively thought that's what you got to do. <laughs> well, you do. You do. Like, we have access to all the stuff Jesus did. In fact, he commanded us to do it, right? And so when we're doing some of these practices, it's, I love that Lindsay and Chad and others have, have the heart to implement these. My the, favorite part of that quote is he said when he played on the devil's team, he got to do all of his stuff. How come when he played on Jesus' team, he didn't get to do anything? <laughs> I forgot about that. That's so good. So good. Um, so there, we're going to do uh, context mapping. Now, you don't have to go completely by script of what this card says. You absolutely can. There are four categories, so live, work, learn, and play. Um, and so use those if it's helpful or, or cross one of them out and add another network that makes sense to you or the way that you think. Uh, you don't have to fill out every single one of these lines. Honestly, if you get one name, it's great. If you get all of them, it's great. If you get somewhere in between, it's great. But these lines are going to represent names, um, and some of them, side note, are maybe people you don't even know yet, okay, or, or, or you don't know their names. Uh, some of them, you will. Um, but here's the little twist I want to throw into it today. Um, when we talk about people that are overlooked or marginalized or, or deemed to be broken, um, maybe, maybe just people never give them a second glance. Um, and I'm, I'm really talking to like all of us, but I'm, I'm thinking of like students in the room. Who are the people in your classroom that nobody's given them the time of day, but you you have no idea what kind of inner battle they're facing. And, and we all have an inner battle. You know, in your neighborhood, behind every single door, a battle is being waged for marriages, um, and, and, and on and on and on. And so all of us have people that are, and I'm not just talking about poor people, it, it could be. I'm not just talking about uh, people that typically our society uh, turns their nose up uh, at, which, it, but it can be those, those types of folks. But it's anybody that you know is being overlooked, that is marginalized. And I really want to encourage us to just consider doing a couple of things. First of all, writing those names down and keeping them close by, maybe on your fridge or in your car or somewhere where you'll, where you'll see them regularly. But also commit to praying for them and really ask the Lord, how can I enter into some spiritual conversations with these folks? Not so that I can quote unquote fix them, okay? but rather that you can come alongside the Holy Spirit and what he might already be doing in their hearts and in their lives. Does that make sense? And so um, I just really wanna encourage this. I, I think Springbrook is already such an amazing church and that you guys have such a heart for the communities that you're in. And this is just a way of being even more intentional with things that you may already be doing. And for some of us, we may not be doing that at all. You know, we just try to get by our day. Maybe we say, I need to be on this, this card. I'm the one that's broken and messed up. <laughs> well, listen, that's true of all of us. But just because we're broken and, and messed up doesn't mean that, that God can't use us. He uses people like Ronnie and, and countless others, and he can use us as well. So does that make sense? Am I setting yeah. that up right? We'll just, um, if, Daniel, if y'all want to come on stage, we'll just give you a few minutes to be quiet. Um, on the back, on the flip side of that uh, is a prayer called the Blessed Five. We, uh, if you've been here for very long at all, we've got about 15 blessed prayers. It's our favorite acronym. So uh, this is just one of those. Um, and it just gives you an idea of you're like, I don't know what to do. This is a place to start of how to pray. Um, and it's just praying for the person's body, their work, their emotions, their uh, social circles, their marriages, their friendships, things like that, and then um, their spiritual life. So uh, that's just like a helpful thing. Um, I use it a lot when I don't know what to do. So uh, we'll just take a few minutes and let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants in you. And I'll pray for us and bless this time. Jesus, thank you uh, for uh, a minute to celebrate what you're doing all over the world and, and that you would choose to do it through us. I am 
incredibly overwhelmed how um, something small in Alcoa, Tennessee could reach so far and reach so wide and so long. And so I just thank you. I thank you for the honor and privilege of being part of it. And then I just pray that you would fill us with imagination. Will you um, uh, allow us to think through the the people at our work that um, maybe hate their jobs worse than we do? Um, The people in our lives, single moms, widows, Um, will you allow us to think through where we live, the neighbor that everyone's mad at because they don't mow their lawn the right way or they have junk everywhere, uh, realizing that's me as I'm praying. Um, I, I just, I pray that you would put people on our hearts that, um, are, are, are places that you are already at work. And would you give us the, the eyes to see your work already among us and the courage to join you in what you're doing. In your name we pray.